very important things have been happening in the federal courts in town, as you well know, and the indictment brought uh, just a little while ago by Tom Fitzgerald, the uh, federal attorney for the Southern District, rather the Northern District of Illinois, uh, specifies some 14 people, all of whom are supposedly involved in murders, some 18 murders. My guest tonight will be talking about that and all the different uh, ramifications of that indictment as it stretches out to re relate organized crime in this town to organized government, one might well say. My guests, a very distinguished panel, are Tom Kirkpatrick, president of the Chicago Crime Commission, John Drummond, veteran crime reporter who spent most of his career at Channel 2 here in Chicago, author of the memoir, 30 Years in the Trenches, Crooks, Characters, and Capers, and John Cass, the distinguished and the noteworthy columnist for the Chicago Tribune, who's been very much on this beat for quite a long time. Gentlemen, I offer you as a kind of epigraph for our program, uh, something rather tony, something rather special, a quotation from Geoffrey Chaucer uh, in the Canterbury Tales. He says, O blessed God, thou art so just and true, murder, though secret, ever thou wilt betray. Murder will out, we see it day by day. Murder so loathsome and abominable. To God, who is just and reasonable, he will never suffer it to be concealed. Though it hide a year or two or three, murder will out. To this point, it comes down. As long Chaucer as says a year or two or three. As long as Nick Calabrese testifies. <laughs> He's the man who uh, got this whole thing going, apparently. Right. But the murders that have been revealed now go back how many years? Uh, to 1970. So that is, by quick calculation, 35 years. The first one was the, uh, as we, uh, the murder of uh, outfit enforcer. Frank Bones, or Hambone uh, Albergo, who was found under his, I think a fingertip, was found under the uh, Saks Park um, parking lot a couple years ago. <coughs> Following thereupon, what other murders are on the record? Well, the ones that uh, stick out in people's mind, the, the Spilatro brothers, Tony and Michael Spilatro. That goes way back. That, that's fairly 86. recent. 1986. And that was when, uh, that was uh, depicted fictionally in the movie uh, Casino, which you may remember. Where we have them being buried alive. Beaten uh, and buried alive in Indiana, but the indictment alleges they were murdered in DuPage County mm -hmm. uh, and a home, uh, which came out in court later, and then uh, buried. And then allegedly somebody was uh, murdered because they botched the burial of the Spilatro. John Ficarotti right. on Belmont. Yeah. What makes this so unusual, this is the first time we've had, we've had a lot of indi mob indictments in the past here, but this is the first time mm -hmm. it's dealt so much with homicides. 18 murders and one attempted murder. And really the one I think that really stuck in the craw, well, Tom mentioned the Spilatro brothers were the high profile one, there's no question about that. But one that the federal government really, really disliked the most was the murder of a man by the name of Daniel Seifert. He was murdered in 1974 at a, a factory he had in Bensonville. Murdered in broad daylight with his family, his young family looking on in horror by some couple of ski mask hoodlums. And he was scheduled to testify in a federal trial that had among defendants Alan Dorfman, Tony Spilatro, Joseph Lombardo, and others. And those men are all acquitted. Uh, actually, well, uh, Alan Dorfman later was murdered. Yeah, murdered himself. But what happened? Others. I remember sitting in this, and when that trial happened in 1975, uh, this man uh, was what Seifert would have been a key witness. Uh -huh. And when he was murdered, the government's case unraveled. And I remember standing in the lobby, the Dirksen Federal Building, walking the, watching the defendants walk by like the cat had swallowed the canary, with grins on their faces. They'd just been acquitted, Dorfman 
and these and these yeah. other individuals. Well, according to the records kept by the Chicago Crime Commission, whose president Tom Kirkpatrick is with us tonight, there have been over 1,100. I forget the exact number. Crime hits since the 1920s. Um, there's crime murders. And how many have been solved up to this point? Fourteen convictions have resulted out of, out of 1,111 yeah. since we've been keeping track in 1919. Uh, so this indictment, if it did solve 18 murders, would solve more in one fell swoop that had been solved in the last uh, 86 years. Of course, of several were settled out of court. True, but uh, as, as far as convictions for yeah. murder go, uh, it's hard uh, to You mean imagine. euphemistically settled out of court? Or? Yeah. Boom, boom. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, actually, just a moment ago, uh, John Cass already specified the man who's probably the source of the information, a fellow named Calabresi. There are a lot of right. Calabresis in this story. Yes, there's two brothers, um, older brothers. There's two sons of Frank Calabrese. And the, the, uh, there's Nick Calabrese's brother and Frank's two sons, Kurt and uh, Frank Jr. And I anticipate that all three will testify against Frank, and the idea is to get Frank to flip on other people. They'll be testifying against uh, Jimmy Marcello, um, and other, you know, who's allegedly now the street boss of the Chicago outfit, although many of us who've been watching it kind of dispute that idea. And uh, it's, it'll be, I remember breaking, the, well, that's part of the story I broke. Uh, now, which Calabrese is the main source of the uh, of the Nick Calabrese. Senior or junior? Nick Calabrese is the brother of Frank Sr. Uh -huh. They were both, in. they're part of the 26th Street crew, the Chinatown crew on the south side in Bridgeport, in the 11th Ward. Um, and uh, was, we used to be the first ward and now the 11th. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Nick uh, disappeared from prison. Uh, he just kind of vanished. And wise guys across the city uh, started rumbling that, uh, what, what happened to Nick? Why isn't Nick coming home? That's where I heard about it, and um, uh, it turned out that he, the Bureau of Prisons, when we called them, said, uh, oh, uh, uh, yeah, I'll get the records for you right away. And then she came back and said, uh, I can't talk about it. There aren't no records of Nick Calabrese being here, at which point in time it was, that's like con confirming. So what's, what's your understanding there. of how the feds turned Nick Calabrese? Um, there was some uh, DNA, you know, DNA evidence is terrible to the outfit. Right, and people don't usually talk on them, but uh, DNA evidence is uh, mm -hmm. is uh, heavy. And I think there was a glove found um, after the assassination in a car on Belmont Avenue, the assassination of John Fecarata by a bingo palace. Right, he was brought there thinking that he was going to rob this bingo palace, and what happened was it was almost a botched hit, and uh, he was fighting with the guy who had the gun, and uh, the gu uh, which and the glove was lost, and um, Pecorado was murdered on Belmont Avenue, and, uh, at, and then later later on, the DNA in the glove was traced to Nick Calabrese. So he he bargained uh, his uh, bargained away his guilt in that murder, at least his demonstrable guilt in that murder. There's also by ratting on his friends. There's also other issues involved in the case. Um, there's this is all mere speculation and you know rumor, hearing it from. The, the side of light and the side of darkness, which is where the three of us operate. But ultimately, this will come out in trial. But there's also, yes, and there's also stuff about missing, you know, big, a great stash of money missing from the ceiling uh, in a Wisconsin uh, uh, a cabin 
and uh, Nick and Frank were what both. What money? Who put it in the ceiling? Uh, well, we'll, well, I guess we'll find all that <laughs> out in the trial. And by the way, for your court buffs that might be listening tonight, 10 o'clock tomorrow, Friday morning, yeah. there'll be a court hearing involving Frank Calabrese. Be there. Be there where? That is for the buffs who enjoy this type of action. Frank Calabrese is being brought, one of the defendants in, uh -huh. the, uh, in this uh, mm -hmm. affair, is being brought where he'd been imprisoned at Milan, Michigan, a federal institution. He was brought back, I think he was at the MCC last night, and tomorrow, he he's also at the MCC tonight, I assume, and Metro tomorrow, Metropolitan Correctional, the Correctional Center in downtown Center. Chicago, the federal institution in the, in, in the South Loop. And he is scheduled to have a court hearing tomorrow, 10 o'clock. No, you say be there. Are you going to be there tomorrow, John? You're going to be there. Yeah, right? I'll be there. And yeah, I'm going to be there, too. And John's just giving me a brilliant idea since <laughs> I have to write a column for somebody. Yeah. I, would, I think we should invite Milt Rosenberg to bring his ch collected Chaucer <laughs> with us to the federal courthouse. I've and you can see I've this. Got an oh, please. It would be wonderful. Oh. <laughs> but I would love to be there. So, sounds like a great occasion. Well, then. This, is this really a significant sea change in the history of organized crime in Chicago, Tom? Well, it, 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 in scope it is. Uh, I can't remember in, in the <laughs> recent decades of, a, of such a sweeping indictment for a number of reasons. One, one thing that I'm really pleased to see is that it's not just an indictment over one operation. It's not a bookmaking indictment. It's not an extortion indictment. It's not just one crew indictment. It, it lays out like a blueprint of all the activities that organized crime is involved in and what it needs to survive. You've got the alleged crooked cops passing information back and forth. You've got the uh, you've got labor union manipulation, which uh, screws over the working man as well as the employers. You've got uh, extortion and shakedowns. Uh, every uh, video poker, uh, bookmaking, juice loans, and murder. Uh, and we've and got, on the basis of some other investigations and revelations which have been showing up in recent weeks or months, we've also got some evidence that organized crime outfit types have penetrated the government of the city of Chicago. Not that they bought off people, but that they are located within the administrative or executive system of the city of Chicago, in particular departments. Uh, the least truck scandal is the most obvious area for immediate further investigation and uh, analysis with regard to the outfit um, government connection. And after some commercials which are coming instantly, I invite you to tell us what you know about that. We'll be directly back to John Drummond, John Cass, Tom Kirkpatrick after this. And we return to this stellar panel. All of them know everything there is to know about crime in Chicago and the connections between crime and other interesting institutional locations. John Drummond, uh, for so many years the leading reporter on crime at uh, Channel 2 and really in the town. Tom Kirkpatrick, president of the Chicago Crime Commission. John Cass, columnist at the Chicago Tribune. I gave you Chaucer for an epigraph. Here's a, a more modern one. Steve Allen, great guy. I knew Steve a little bit. Uh, ours is a government of checks and balances. The mafia and crooked businessmen make our checks, and the politicians and other compromised officials improve their bank balances. <laughs> and, and Steve Allen paid a penalty for his anti-mob uh, stand in, when he had his television show uh -huh. because all of a sudden uh, great Hollywood guests uh, refused to appear on his show. Things are really tied together. Isn't that amazing? Now, how he was—he had one of the largest uh, private libraries. Of, he used to send us stuff all oh, the time. Oh yeah, Steve was a wonderful uh, scholar uh, on uh, organized yeah. crime. And he and I were members of uh, a board together, 
and I got and he was on this program a few times. I admired the man tremendously. But let's come to. But well, he did to, pay a price uh, in his career for. Apparently so. That because that was when television was just really kicking off, and he had a great program, and uh, he couldn't book a guest. Out of, you know, and I wonder mm-hmm. if anyone asked uh, the Korshaks about that. But they're both dead now, right? One in Chicago and one in. Uh, but let's get to the theme that he, uh, that he is addressing in that interesting quotation: mm-hmm. the tie-in between organized crime and other organized sectors of the community, and focusing on Chicago, and particularly focusing on uh, Chicago government or service organizations within Chicago government. To what degree has the outfit penetrated uh, the operation of Chicago government? Well, just from a historical perspective, it's always been. A target. I mean, we have a history here, a first award history of, uh, uh, you know, and, or going back even before that, going back to the days of the levy and the, uh, you know, the, white, the red light district and the rackets where somebody took over the role of representing that to the <laughs> governmental sector and making the deals uh, to keep it alive. So it's been a, a tradition going back, you know, just under. And as you, as you know, the, or you may know, um, a mayor who went after the, uh, say, the, um, the policy rackets on the south side that were cons- that were considered a black political province, but were in actuality having just been taken over by the, what we call the Italian outfit, or even though it's not exclusively Italian in Chicago, uh, that mayor uh, um, went after the outfit and uh, tried to stop the policy uh, rackets and was informed that he would be tossed out of office, and he was. What mayor are you talking about? Kelly. Kennelly. Um, uh, Martin Kennelly. Martin oh, Kennelly. Oh, 55. Well, I remember... And then there was another mayor who was elected shortly after. We've there always would have been a mayor named Daly. Correct. They've always talked about an unholy alliance between organized crime and politics and the mm-hmm. Chicago machine. I recall when Sam Giancana died in 1975. That's the 30th anniversary coming up, by the way, in June. We saw some documents, or papers, let's put it that way, at, in the Giancana household which showed his oldest daughter's marriage and the people who attended the wedding and the reception, at least the reception. And after each name of an individual would be a notation, numerical notation, indicating how much money this person gave to Sam and to the new, to the, uh, to Antoinette. I hope it was cash. <laughs> it was cash. It was always cash. And I noticed on that list we saw were the names of Alderman, uh, Judge, and a uh, County Commissioner. And, and they all denied it, by just, the way, at the time, that they had been able to win. Doesn't the cash usually flow in the other direction? That is to say, organized crime gives money to politicians. But in this case, it's the, organi- the politicians were giving, paying tribute to, the, yeah. to Mr. Gene Cunningham. Don't, uh, don't uh, forget that the, uh, just recently, we just talked about this, I think, the uh, former chief of detectives of the Chicago Police Department, the man who m- named and promoted every detective in this town for like 20 years, William Hanhart, uh, was uh, working with um, uh, organized crime with uh, in, on the jewelry theft ring, and one of his partners was Paulie Shiro. Who is Paulie Shiro? Paulie Shiro was a killer, uh, killer for Tony Spilatro, and uh, was te- uh, teamed up with Bill Hanhart on the jewelry theft mm-hmm. ring. And Shiro was recently uh, indicted in the case we're talking about. And in the same case, there were two former cops who were indicted. This as is well. correct. In who the are they? And what's their Presumed one, they, one was they were passing messages. One, both the retired cops alone recently worked for the Cook County Sheriff's Department, mm-hmm. a man named Ricky. Another man named Doyle, who's in Arizona. 
what positions they had in the department, I don't recall. That is how high-ranking. I don't think they're high-ranking officers. Ricky told me at the, you know, he was talking at, on the first day in the courtroom, uh, a bunch of us, Carol Moran and I, I think you were there. Yeah. We got around him, and before his lawyer told him to shut up, I, I said, well, you were a detective too, right? And he goes, of course I was a detective. I was a detective for a long time. I was a great detective. Then he said, he looked at me and he said, but I didn't, Bill Hanhart didn't give me this job. Did he without prompting? Yeah, well, I, I think someone asked him to mention Hanhart. And... There are many ways to cut into this right. weird pie. And we ought to uh, talk also about uh, some of the, the defendants who are missing in action. In, in action yeah, and exactly. found yet. Well, we'll come to them in a moment, but I want to ask you something else I put on the agenda a little bit ago. Mm -hmm. I want to get to it right now, namely the lease truck scandal mm -hmm. uh, and what that reveals about the interaction between organized crime and city government. Well, before Jen, uh, who uh, has been following that story and bringing it to public attention for uh, an almost weekly basis, he goes into detail. Let me just say, from, a, from again, from a historical perspective, that Target is so tempting to these guys. These are guys who take what isn't theirs the easy way, make money without working for it, okay? And they take right. it from you and me. Government offers a great opportunity to do that because they got all this tax money coming in. Uh, and they got limited controls over it, and suddenly uh, people realize, you know, I really can do whatever I want with this money. And who's in gonna, Chicago, there's no who's uh, going to look over my shoulder. Who's no going to tell me different? So uh, let's make a deal. And there's a million ways to manipulate it. So, I mean, look at quarters of oil and right. I'm in the millions of dollars worth of quarters. Now he didn't actually walk off with bags. I mean. You can't spend millions of dollars with quarters. He kind of disappeared. He would go to a McDonald's. He had a he had a cash service. You know, right. McDonald's needed a million, you know, thousand. You better explain quarters. who Quarters Boyle is and how he got that name. We got the name because he was, uh, I believe, he was convicted and was he was in the tollway. He was working for the tollway authority. Tollway authority. 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 He was a millions yeah. of dollars. He was, he was a Cook County sheriff, and he, and he had a he was a, had a side company that handled the um, cash, the cash yeah. for, right. for the tollways. And st uh, stole millions of dollars. When they had an audit, and they realized right. that there were millions of dollars missing. and quarters missing. And for his punishment, he was giving a, given a job by the Daly administration uh, to allege ostensibly to manage a, a heavy machinery. But uh, in reality, I guess he was fixing uh, hired trucks, uh, hired truck deals. This was after his indictment for. I, rem I wrote about him years ago, yeah. and he and another fellow. And he did some prison Colorado. time, did he not? They were part of the uh, Coalition for Better Government, which is a group that uh, supported, among uh, other reformers, Mayor Richard. I mean, Mayor Richard M. Daley. I think they supported uh, Emanuel, if I'm not mistaken, Ram Emanuel, and also uh, gov another reformer, uh, Governor Blagojevich. And so. And when I when brought to the mayor's attention, I did it, and I think Dick Kay or Dave Savini yeah. did it. Uh, the mayor defended them. As, you know, we should. You know what's wrong with a little with the second chance? Give uh -huh. the man a chance. Well, you've had a number Teach of confrontations with the mayor at his rather tense press conferences. He just had one recently. I know. I saw some portion of it on television, and I heard your voice, so I didn't see you. Represent Sotto voce? Right. No, no, no I don't think so. Uh, uh, what else do we learn from the uh, the lease truck scandal at the moment? What you learn is that uh, that the uh, Many of the trucking companies are in, from the 11th Ward. The, tr the scandal, the uh, hire truck system has always been a mayor's system. Even when other reformers like Jane Byrne and the reformer Harold Washington uh, were involved, uh, if you wanted to get on the hire truck system as a trucking company, you had to go through the mayor's office. 
And um, so it's Boodle that the mayor distributes. Actually, it's a good. It, it, I'm told that it w is a is a good idea because you don't have uh, trucks idling and wasting time otherwise. But the point is, I hear they not, idle only when you rent them. If you're if you're on the if you're on the good side of the administrators, you don't have to drive far with your trucks. Mm -hmm. If they don't like you, you have to go across the city. It, it depends on who's who's. Um, Basically, you're being paid coming. to be on call right. with a truck and a driver right. to go where the city needs trucks. And okay. some of those trucks and some of those companies are connected to the outfit, and some and many have connections to what uh, we call the 26th Street or Chinatown crew. Connected to the outfit, how closely connected? What's an example of that connection? Uh, a bookmaker, you know, guys who's, who are bookmakers. Um, uh, or, or one of the administrators of the hired truck program was uh, what was that kid's name? Uh, Nick the Stick Lococo. Well, he's, he's deceased. He's yeah. deceased. He, he's a, he was considered an outfit guy. Lococo. Can you tell? But maybe you could tell the the uh, audience, John, what happened to him. He fell. He had an after accident. he was indicted. He had an accident right after he was indicted. And he was riding his horse, and he died somewhat mysteriously. Right. But yes, supposedly it was an accident. I don't know. Now he's no a, indication of foul play. He's a no indication of foul play, but he was a bookie, and uh, it was he. He, he fell from his horse uh, between, I think, in the second quarter of the second game of, you know, the NFL season. You know what I mean? The, the second game, there's a game at 12 and then at 3, at which time you don't, as bookies, you don't expect them to be out riding, right, guys? They don't Good usually, point. that's when they're making their determinations for their next, I don't, you next know. round. <laughs> but he was probably recreating on a horse and yeah. fell and killed himself. Practicing his jumps. We uh, need to pause for some commercials, but what persists as a kind of a, an obsessive question for me is how high up does the corruption go? How high up does the protection and the collusion with the outfit go in government, uh, whatever government, whatever body of government we're talking about? And I will pursue that and press on that question when we return right after this. And I want to put the question directly to John Drummond, to John Cass, and to Tom Kirkpatrick. How high up does the corruption of city and county government go in the sense that there is collusion or protection, uh, collusion with or protection of the mob? I'm just going to get out of the way. I've raised that basic general question. Uh, name names, don't name names, do what you want, but respond to it. John Drummond. Number one, you had the Greylord investigation starting in 82, where a number of judges were convicted of wrongdoing, corruption, some payment being paid or all being paid off. You have police officers involved actually directly or indirectly in homicides. You have uh, sheriff's policemen who, one of the sheriff's officers, tried to kill a man by the name of Ken Edo, who later himself, by the way, was shot by the mob. That is the police officer, a man by the name of Gattuso, who was working with the county sheriff's department at that time. Well, Jim Keating, of course, a uh, intelligence officer with the sheriff's department went to jail uh, in and connection so with crazy. corruption and some and, and also in the masters case although Jim has always contended he had nothing to do with masters but he's admitted wrongdoing as far as corruption was concerned he admitted and, that and and Jim Dvorak who was the uh, was the under sheriff and and tied up with Rocky and Felice who was the boss of the outfit and, and later and, later was a uh, head of the Republican Party in right the, and a Republican that's how the Republican sure. Party went in Chicago Mr. Uh, Dvorak previous to being the sheriff, was one of the lieutenants in the Chicago Police Department's Organized Crime Division, which kind of gives you a sense of how well, the relationship, which is still rocky, between the FBI and the uh, Chicago Police Department. So you've reached into uh, uh, central headquarters on State Street. Yeah, they have. Does anything reach into City Hall? Well, we've had aldermen uh, mm -hmm. uh, acknowledged as being... Uh, <laughs> 
having connections to organized crime. Every time we put out a report, right. since as far back as I go in, in our organization, we always say in there the mob cannot operate and thrive unless they can corrupt enough public officials to permit them to operate. So Does their corruption reach the fifth floor? In, 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 uh, let's think of this um, historically. Uh, if you think of interest groups, okay, there's like the LaSalle Street bankers, the unions, teacher, you know, teachers, all the different groups that uh, in the old days it was the old line Protestants who ran the public schools. Mm-hmm. You had all different kind of interest groups. One of those interest groups was the outfit. They had their own all. They had several wards. They had their playground, Rush Street. Um, they had uh, they accounted for a lot of cash and a lot of power. And like uh, I said earlier. Uh, Mayor Richard J. Daley, uh, never, no one ever said that he was an outfit guy, no one ever would, but he was elected in part by the river wards, which were dominated by the outfit, and by the Black South Side, which was uh, dominated by, the, by William Dawson, who was a proxy for the um, uh, policy rackets. And I find that what's interesting to me Dawson is... Dawson was... During much of that time, a congressman. Yes, and I and and I and and a Democrat, and and converted uh, African Americans from the party of Lincoln to the party of Roosevelt. Um, I find it interesting that that in the last couple of weeks, as Mayor Richard J. Daley was has been lionized by the press and by um, many people in broadcast, not John Drummond or anyone, but others. Um, that that understanding, historical understanding, is not even discussed. He's been lionized essentially for uh, for being a, a, the father of Chicago. The father, and for getting a lot of flowers in greenery. Oh, you're uh, speaking of the new mayor. Oh, you're Richard. talking about the old mayor. Yeah, Richard yeah. J. Yeah. But the new mayor has got got a lot of lionization recently from Time magazine, from uh, right. a, a literary. Uh, uh, I'm expecting Le Monde to do something on it. Well, uh, Joe Epstein, who's a very interesting right. literary figure, a fine writer. Uh, and uh, writes frequently for some of the major magazines, did a very laudatory essay about mm-hmm. how beautiful the city is, and it's all due to uh, the current mayor daily. That one was in the Wall Street of the, Journal only about two or three weeks one ago. One of the people that helped make it so pretty uh, were the Duff family. What about the Duffs? They were connected, some of them were connected to the Chicago outfit. The, the father was uh, uh, convicted of perjury and trying to protect, uh, keep Joe, uh, Tony Accardo out of prison. And the Duffs had most of, many of the contracts. Yeah, and they used to drink with Mayor Daley at Como Inn, mm-hmm. and for and they were white guys. And for some reason, you'd think if you drank with somebody, like if I drank with you, you'd know that I was, a, you know, I'm Greek American. I could pass for white mm-hmm. in this city, and uh, you'd know that I wasn't a black female if you drank with me, right? Somehow I they got contracts. Yeah, that's right. Twice, and they ha- they have uh, <laughs> somehow they got the contracts. So it's, it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you know, a mysterious occurrence. As an addendum, not going to City Hall so much, but we mentioned police officers. In fact, when John mentions Greek American, right. there was a police officer by the name right. of Mark Thanosaurus, who headed the Austin District in 1970, was an up-and-coming police officer, thought some right. people thought he might be a superintendent. And he later, he was involved in corruption, involved with the mobs, protecting uh, exotic dances, uh, exotic lounges on the west side. And ironically, when he got out of prison, he was gunned down by the mob, a gangland victim, which has and been... And now we have another him. police, uh, and what I thought was a good cop, um, and he's not been convicted, but Mr. Acosta, the commander, who was jammed up in this, uh, not the outfit investigation, but the... Uh, the, uh, bribe, the, the trucking investigation. Well, what will the consequence be of Operation... 
family secrets when it, as it reaches the courts and as it's all... It's the first time through. they used, I think, a RICO investigation in this fashion, this, this wide. And they take their money. And will it, will it break the outfit? Well, it's not going to break the outfit completely because as long as there are people willing to look the other way, as long as there are people that are willing to uh, take what isn't theirs and, and spread a little bit around to, uh, to grease the wheels, there's always going to be an outfit. This will put a big dent in it. I think the, the, uh, the head of the FBI was saying that maybe this would knock a third of the operation out. But the nice thing, we're going to get it. This, it's going to be fed to us piecemeal here. They're going to be required to do what uh, the Seventh Circuit uh, here requires them to submit to what they call Santiago Proffers, which is the government has to disclose to the defense what it is we're going to put in our case, what evidence we have against you. And as those are filed and that kind of information is brought into court, we're going to get the details. I offer you a bit of sociological theory, if not wisdom, uh, propounded by Robert Merton, one of the great American sociologists. He did a few books on this. He argued essentially organized crime as we know it in this country, and he wrote this 40 and 50 years ago, Ooh. is essentially the provision, is in, is in the business of providing services that are officially illegal, the services that people want. And to do that, uh, organized crime makes its connections to and uh, settles its uh, uh, conflicts with uh, organized police and organized government by uh, paying them off. And all of it works is essentially functional in the sociological sense. It's fulfills needs. Now, if you reduce the power of the classic outfit, the so-called uh, Italian-based uh, mafia, though in this town I know it's never been uh, distinctively and uniquely Italian, don't other new rising mafias take over wherever some, uh, some uh, diminution of the original outfit's power has been achieved? We've got other outfits, other uh, organized crime operations Flourishing in this town. I recall one time when we had what the traditional La Cosa Nostra was going down with these indictments and so on and so forth. They, an agent then with the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms told me, mm -hmm. he said, the problem here is with all this concentration the Justice Department is doing on the traditional organized crime groups, it gives almost a free hand to some of the <laughs> other ethnic groups. Well, which so other ethnic groups are rising in the crime business? Well, there's always the possible. Right number one, there's a great, well, first of all, you always had the black street gangs, but of course they've been, they've been hit pretty hard. The disciples mm -hmm. and the Arukans have been hit hard. Yeah. But you have other groups, in other words, you have the Moving up to the ladder, you have, there's no question there's activity by Russian organizations. You have the Chinese shadows, the ghost gangs. I don't know how strong they are right now, but they've tradition, they have always operated. Those are both quite big in New York yes, right they now, are. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are. You have, you've had everything from Jamaicans. You've had, of course, the Mexican gangs here. Nigerian. You've had drugs. You've had Algerians. You've had almost every ethnic group. Now we're getting Salvadorans uh, and Something Dominicans. There. And uh, are they making their connections with uh, the supervisors, with those who represent the law? That I, uh, well, to, to, to obviously, if they're going to flourish, they're going to have to. But with how, how flourishing they are doing right now. You Most know, of us are the drug traders, so many of them are I, I just say I have to respond to the concept that it's just, you know, you're right, they do provide traditionally the vices. And they still are. You look at this indictment. Anyway, yeah. Here Drugs, they are. Gambling, shaking juice loans, and dirty bookstores, massage parlors, yeah, gentlemen's yeah. clubs, everything that's on the fringe and operates a little bit shady, you know, right. uh, is, you is, is, is part of the deal. But it, you may, it, that theory makes it sound like it's just the normal course of business and there aren't aren't any costs and, and there aren't any victims. You know, and it's fine to talk about it like that unless you're the one whose business well, from, has from been that, muscled in on course, Tom, or whose home theory, has been taken over. From that theory, the derived recommendation that some people draw is legalize those things. Legalize off-track gambling completely. Uh, legalize whatever you legalize, legalize with prostitution, these people, whatever legalize you, drugs. Whatever you legalize with these people, they'll find something else. Be advised. Because these are the guys who, as was explained to me by someone who understands this better than I, um, 
if they're 10 cows, they see 10 cows, most of us would breed the cows, milk them, create a larger herd. These gentlemen kill the 10 cows and go off to find other 10 cows to kill somebody else's cows. That's how they operate. It's their way of thinking about it. And uh, clearly there's been an outfit. I'm reading a book now. I can't tell you the author, but it's called The Medieval Underworld. I mean, the underworld has existed, you know, in, in classical times and, and uh, all the way to the present, through the Middle Ages mm -hmm. and, 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 and well, to the day. Some of your old, speaking of cows, speaking of some of your older listeners, but we remember during the war that the outfit, organized right. crime, would provide black market beef. Right. You want sugar? You can get it. Right. You want cars? We can get it. You want rubber? You can get it. So they provided those goods and services. It was illegal. What they were doing, it, everything was rationed, stamps to get those things. But they provided, so you didn't eat horse Maybe you're eating horse meat. I don't know, but they claim they're good steaks. That was provided also by organized Why have we crime. romanticized organized crime the way we have? Because by romanticizing them, we're not focusing on the... I mean, in, in some sense, they're very powerful. I'm not going to... You know, I remember USA Today saying the outfit was dead, and I laughed. They transform themselves into legitimate businessmen who still can rely on muscle when they need it. Um, but I think by romanticizing and giving nicknames, and I do that too, okay, and it is, it is interesting, it's, it's earthy, it's, it's, it's a great subject for a writer. Uh, we're not talking about the bankers, the uh, lawyers, the developers, uh, the guys who really make the money. It's not some old guy on, uh, on West Grand Avenue who's, you know, running you know, you know, billion-dollar bank deals that are fueled by drug money. These guys don't make the biggest money at all. No, look they? at and look at here. Look at the guy that was found. One of the uh, people indicted uh, was found dead in a cheap motel room, Hampshire, Illinois, surrounded by empty pizza yeah, boxes, yeah, right. the bag of cash. Uh, you know, whether his death was natural or not, he weighed 400 pounds. But the bag. Of but he had a lot of cash, by the way. So yeah, was but 25 grand in cash. But that is not. Is that, is that what you think of when you think of uh, right. you know the Godfather and casino no, no. and clubs and the high life? No, here's a. Pig laying in a pile of crud right. with a bag of money uh, in a cheap motel. Okay? I'll tell you the uh, the whole thing about the mahogany uh, study, and you know the uh, you know that BS about uh, reading about the uh, the the Roman uh, Empire, and these guys don't read books. Okay, they don't, they're not literate. Um, they're usually, um, my experience, uh, barbaric in every aspect. These aren't romantic people. There was one, a West Side boss, uh, who died a while back, um, who ran uh, abortion clinics. All right, they get into anything that has a because who's going to bother an abortion clinic? They have a, they they, they uh, they're allowed privacy. You made a few references tonight to Rush Street as their playground. Uh, is it still? Tell me about Rush Street. It used to be. I don't hang out there anymore, so I can't answer that question. <laughs> well, you know, the history, well, I mean, we're asleep by 9 o'clock. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, I am. But at one time, you had a lot of exotic people used to call strip joints. And they, I see. They, they were all over the place. And they candy was, oh, store. They, they can't, yeah, it was Joanne. But they, 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 they control those completely. All those joints up on Rush Street. And the machines, the vending machines, yeah. the cigarette machines, the mm -hmm. jukeboxes. That exactly. was all part of the, yeah. I mean, and the jukebox. They were ripping the machines out of bars and putting their own in. And when the police would raid a place, even now when the sheriff raids a gambling machine, right? It's funny. It's like those gambling machines are usually old and probably past their prime. And they have to be replaced. So all of a sudden, historically, let's put it that way, the, gamb the gambling machines are, are taken out of the taverns, and it, it saves on the uh, cost of getting, you know, moving them back and forth. Uh, 
Back to the colorful characters. Actually, earlier, Tom Kirkpatrick uh, raised this, but we didn't get around to it. I tabled it, but let's come to it now. I hold in my hand the text of the letter, at least a part of the text of the letter, uh, <coughs> sent by the judge, uh, uh, sent to the judge by Joey uh, the Clown Lombardo. What's going on there? Well, you know, this is a... Uh, it's a riot. The, the two guys that are missing, I mean, two of the, the oldest and the most, yeah. uh, most uh, dangerous. dangerous and well-known, it would be uh, Joe Lombardo and Frankie Schweiss. Uh, and, you know, Frankie, let's start with Frankie. Frankie was uh, uh, muscle, and he was also, a, but he was a very prominent figure in the old town Rush Street area. You were talking about that. He had a restaurant, I think it was called the Meat Block. Meat Block on and Wall I think, Street. It, I think the Plug Nickel might have been one he was hey, involved in. It's worth in. noting that Schweiss, of course, is um, not a Italian name. In fact, the name means Swiss. Yeah, yes, and he's German. He really is German. Yeah. Uh, but he uh, and he used to go into clubs up and down like Lincoln Avenue and, and Rush Street. And he was around a big tipper, you know, whatever. But he was uh, solemn and quiet and. Uh, yeah. You ever see the movie Rumored to be good with plastic bags? Sure. Remember at the end of the movie, Claude Rains tells Humphrey Bogart, tells, he says, round up the usual suspects. Sure. Every time there was a homicide in the right. last 30 years or any wrongdoing, one of the first guys they always blamed was poor Frankie Schweiss. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> His name was, <laughs> Schweiss is a suspect. He uh, probably did it. Yeah, well, <laughs> he had a construction business, too, but dealt yeah. with cement, so maybe it... Uh, uh, a good disposal opportunity. And, yeah. and Lombardo, he's the guy, you remember in 92, I should have brought my copy with me, put that ad in the Tribune and said, you know, my name's uh, Joe Lombardo, uh, I, I'm not, I never pricked my finger or right. lit a candle or took an oath uh, involved in any organized criminal activity. If you see me doing anything wrong, call the FBI or my parole He, he placed that ad right after he got was released from a, a prison in Pennsylvania. That was right. like 13 years ago. And of course, you know, I'd like to recommend, you know, like the, the other paper in town, you know, it, it, it's obvious from the picture I see uh, that he was an avid Sun-Times reader and that he's, uh, he's holding the Sun-Times up uh, with <laughs> a little hole. He was a traffic so Obviously, they, right. could, they should work that into one of those ads. I think. That's a tabloid. <laughs> you know, the advantage of it. Well, the thing is, he's Smaller always been, uh, you, you know, uh, you never know if he's serious, you know, yeah. if he wants people to believe that, if this is just his way, way of, uh, uh, of, you know, he's not. Cheek, poo -poo do you think he's dead? But I don't think it's dead, no. Well, I, apparently the letter sounds and looks authentic. It's handwritten. Well, he'll die. He'll die. He'll be. I, I, he'll be convicted, and he's going to die in prison. He's That's 76 it. years old. He knows mm -hmm. if he surrenders right now, he's going to be remanded to custody. It'll take at least a year for the trial to begin, which means he'd be 77. And he knows the odds of, be, of being convicted are very, very strong. And let's say in this letter, what is that, 98% batting average? So he knows if he goes in. He probably never will get out. And the and same for Schweiss. He's right. 75. And these guys do not want to die in prison. Huh. You know, I mean, that's the, uh, and everybody's tough and everybody's mean. When it comes time to take that last walk, you're walking in, you're never coming out. You know, that. I'll tell you, one guy was tougher than I thought would be, was Hanhart, the cop. He didn't talk. He pled guilty. And therefore, unfortunately, there was no t the trial to discuss the other police officers who helped him and his contemporaries. What happens from here on? Uh, these guys are going to trial. Yes. But beyond that, what happens? Well, the question is, what is it going to be? The impact, of course, as Tom pointed out, on organized crime here. One thing I think it's worth noting that they is brought out the number of crew chiefs or crews that were mm -hmm. supposedly immobilized in that, something like four crews. But there is one crew, and a crew is like a spheres of influence. You've got in this geographical, geographical yeah. deal. There's one crew that was not touched, by the way, by this uh, or this group called the Elmwood Park Crew. Which is allegedly was allegedly headed by a man by the name of John Nonos DiFranzo, <laughs> and also had some help from a man, according to the government anyway, by the name of Mr. Andreaki. 
And that 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 group was not touched in this current. It era. is interesting, Andrew. It 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 just seems to me that the the older the mobster, the more apt they are to be uh, um, arrested and charged and convicted. Where the younger, like Andriachi, who's only reputed to be a mobster, but is considered a mobster by the FBI, listed as that, listed as that, um, allegedly, uh, is the youngest of all. And and there was some talk about there was a troika or a, a commission with these with three, and uh, the other being DeFranzo, Andriachi, and um, Lombardo, and that uh, Marcella was reputed to be the street boss. And now we're told that, uh, according to the FBI, that uh, Mr. Marcello was the boss of everything. <coughs> he was identified in, public, in court the other day as, mm. the, as the head of the Chicago Night Organized Crime in Chicago. He's 63 years old, which is relatively youthful mm. in, that, in that position. But I think that, uh, that the three of uh, that that wise, wise criminals allow other people to be the boss. Well, uh, the that's great... Right. That's right, an, and that's an excellent point. The great that's, Italian yeah. sociologist, Vilfredo Pareto, um, argued a long time ago that organizations, all the way from states to organizations, mm. even including crime organizations, function well if they allow for the, quote, his term, circulation of elites. That is, uh, skill must rise to the top. It must be recognized and empowered. It's compelled to. Well, John's point was that there's, it's one thing to be the, the titular boss. It's another thing to run a show. Right. And... Uh, if you're the titular boss, all you're doing is putting a target on you under scrutiny for, all the time for the feds to come get you. Right, gentlemen, we're due for some commercials, and we will certainly continue. And we will shortly go to the phones as well. We're opening the lines right now. The number five nine one seven two double zero. If you want to join us, get in there quickly. Five nine one seventy two hundred. We return after this. All of our lines were filled, but not everybody makes the cut. Uh, uh -huh. And uh, uh, our producer is a severe judge in some way, so there are now some lines available again. If you're trying to reach us, make another quick try. In general, the tactic is, if you try to reach us, hit the busy signal, try again right after we say goodnight to some prior caller. On 5917200. And if I may, Milt, uh, on behalf of you, our colleagues, and the entire WGN listening audience I, and Tribune readers, I'd like to ask Joey Lombardo, Mr. Lumby, not Lumpy, as they said in the... Uh, FBI uh, news conference. Uh, Joey, call us. I know you're lost. You're probably, you know, you're lonely. Call us. You, know, you might have some sympathy here. Right. You, all three of you, want to hear from Joey? Of course, of course. Yeah. Make a good story. And it's quite feasible if he's in Chicago or anywhere he's anyways in the world, because the internet makes us available any place in the world. It's quite feasible he might be listening tonight. That'd be great. Yeah. Mr. Lombardo, do by all and means. And Mr. Schweiz also. Yeah, for, yeah Frank. Yes. So let's not isolate Mr. Schweiz. Of course. And the number for both of them is, for either or both, is uh, five nine one seven two. As long as we don't, as long as we don't see him in our rearview mirror on the yeah, way right, home, that's, right. that's the only thing. Five nine one seventy two hundred. Also, for that matter, if you want to reach us by email, if you are an internet listener at some greater distance and would rather do it that way, <laughs> the email address extension seven twenty at Tribune. Dot com extension 720 as one word at tribune t r i b u n e dot com or 591 7200 gentlemen we are loaded with calls let's go directly to our listeners and here is the first hello you're on the air hello dr rosenberg how are you fine sir go ahead good uh, I, I won't give you my name i was the foreman for the jury that tried albert taco oh, I remember that case in 1990 mm -hmm. 
and uh, he was the the boss of the South Suburban racket. And um, my uh, that was quite the experience. Um, well, what do you want to tell us about the experience? Well, I mean, at first it was quite scary, and then it became sort of routine after six weeks uh, to be sitting on the uh, on the trial. But the question I have is, what has happened? Or who has replaced Taco in the South Suburban racket, you know, the mob? I, I, I wondered whoever came to service because I've never heard anything more about it. He's, he went to jail for 200 years um, and was fined, I think, about $2 million. And there was they were trying to tie him in to the, the Dauber murders and several other things. And um, I just wondered if you ever found out who replaced Taco in the south suburbs. Uh, first of all, uh, Mr. Taco is a resident now of Leavenworth, Kansas. He's in the federal institution down there. He's, he's 76 years old. And the man that succeeded him, according to most federal investigators back then, was a man by the name of Palermo, who died the other day in prison at the age of 88. Who succeeded Palermo, I don't know, because first you had Al Pilato down there running the show, and they tried to shoot him on a golf course, of all places. Then he went to jail in Miami. And then you had, of course, Mr. Taco, and then you have Mr. Palermo, who died recently. Mm -hmm. Who's running the show down there? I don't know. I just, I'd, I'd suggest that whoever is said to be running the show is probably not the guy who's running the show. That's how it works. The, the, yeah, right. Whoever's the figurehead is not mm -hmm. the real guy. Mm -hmm. Well, thank yeah. you, sir. Very thank you. Note oh, by the way, could you call start? me tomorrow at the Tribune? And I'd like to write that story about you being the foreman on the taco jury. As long as you don't use my name. Well, just call me. We'll talk about it. I'll call you, John. Thank you. Thank you, sir. One thing on Taco, he was the man that his wife, who, his strange wife, testified in that trial that Taco came home one night very, very scared, very shaken, because he'd blown the deal. He had, tried to, he had just buried the Spilatro brothers. On the wrong piece of land. He exactly turned oh, out that way. But he survived. Mm. Went to Greece by mistake. That's right, he did. He did. <laughs> who was the guy who was shot also on a golf course in the head but, but survived? That was Al Palato. 1981, down at Crete, right? At the country club in Crete. I Back to the phones, 591-7200. You are next on the air. Good evening. Hi, good evening. How you guys doing? Fine. Go ahead, sir. A question for you. What about Frankie Calabrese Jr.? What is going to become of him? Is he going to go witness protection? Is he still going to stay in jail for the part that he took in what happened? Or what's this going to happen to the guy? Turn your radio down, sir. We'll have to... Turn you off. I think double I'm, feedback. We'll find out. Uh, the uh, the defense, obviously, Mr. Calabrese Senior's defense mm -hmm. lawyer, Lopez, will probably try to excoriate, uh, in, at least in court. I mean, uh, uh, Mr. Calabrese Junior, the son. I don't know what'll happen to him. What would the defense be? He's lying about his father. There's the, the defense will naturally be there's some other issues that caused the father mm -hmm. and son to have a problem. Mm -hmm. But Dave did he did wear wire? Yes, he in did in the joint. So, what's on the tape? What's on the right? Right. Well, it does sound as if the edible count. It does sound as if the feds have a, a very tight case. For the, well, we the don't know until we see what's on the overhears. Actually, the, actually, Milt, I think you, Tom, and uh, Milt, you had uh, one of the, the chief uh, uh, FBI agents on this case on your very program a few Ted months McNamara. ago. Ted McNamara. Ted yeah. McNamara. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't say a word about. Oh, it. really? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm surprised. It was still yeah. all under wraps, right, wasn't it? Right, yeah. right. 591-7200. We go to the next caller. Hello, you're on the air. 
gentlemen, I can't remember a show where I both laughed out loud and cringed uh, in horror at the same time. Great show. Uh, two two figures I want to ask about are uh, uh, Joe Mizanowski, the cop turned uh, uh, who was on the uh, drug enforcement uh, unit who became himself a major dealer. And was uh, is he going to be in jail for the rest of his life? And and what what uh, gang, if any, was he hooked up with? And uh, I haven't read anything from John in a long time on Pool Boy, so if he's got an update on him, I'd love to know if he's flooded anybody else out in that Northside neighborhood. Who? Well, Pool Boy is uh, Pool Boy Ocho. David <laughs> Ocho. He's who a political, is he? uh, political. Uh, built a pool. Yeah, political hack for, at City Hall who built a pool in his Northwest Side neighborhood and flooded his all his uh, neighbors because I don't know how he did it. He. He, he didn't have any permits, but he built this huge pool, and you could all—it's so thick. He's—he runs the airport now. The pool is so thick, with you could almost land a plane in that concrete. I swear to God. And uh, the, there were no permits, but it—it it appeared, and the Sun Times said, uh, defended him and said he'll take it out. Don't leave him alone. And it was a few years ago. It's still there. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the other question, sir? Oh, uh, John, John, in time. He's going to be there forever. He wasn't, as far as I know, part of the groups that we're talking about here. Yeah, that he was pretty much of a, uh, you know, self-appointed uh, kingpin of his own drug trade uh, who who saw the the markets and how they operated and realized what kind of uh, uh, money he could make by turning crooked in. So he did. He formed a hell of an outfit on his own. I'll tell you that. He did. So you knew him, right? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Did you? No, absolutely oh, okay. not. I'm sorry. No, I just I was fascinated because he he uh, well, I mean he he just he, he was an incredible operation upon himself. Apparently, I thought he had to be hooked with somebody because uh, I, I yeah he's gone he's gone away for the rest of his life. I'm pretty sure. Yes, he is. Yeah. We thank you, sir. Glad to have heard from you. Let's go directly to another. Hello, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, sir. Yes, you know I'm curious. Do you guys have you heard any any rumor where Tony Accardo? Not a rumor, but. Well, Tony Accardo himself actually might have killed Sam Giancana down in Oak Park back in 75. By his own hand, you mean? By his own hand. Like, actually went in himself, and then... Have you, have you ever heard that before? That's a new one on me. No, I've never heard that at all. I know did that, you ever hear that they found the pistol uh, along Thatcher and Riverport? That's correct, they did. They did. Indicating the person that had killed, uh, uh, killed uh, Sam was heading possibly to uh, River Forest where he lived. I think when we did a program with you, John, a year or two ago... Uh, this matter came up, and you had a candidate for this. Remember this, that they, there was a police intelligence unit in front of uh, the Giancana home in known in Oak Park uh, that night, that Friday night yeah. when he was killed. And uh, the authorities told me and said the last person seen going into that house after everybody had left, this person came back, Dominic Butch Blasey, who was actually his chauffeur. Yeah. And uh, Blasey was the last man to go in that building. And a lot of people said that Sam Giancana would have never let any hoodlum in that he didn't trust. And he was cooking, you recall, some sausage and greens. With now, he uh, just, beans. That's right. And he had just had, he'd right. been down to, uh, in Houston, had gallbladder operation. Obviously, he wasn't baking that, that meal for himself. No, he wouldn't have been eating that sausage for himself. It was somebody he knew and trusted. And the authorities have always felt that uh, Mr. Blasey, the last man in there, certainly was a very, very strong suspect. And one thing else, uh, what about what happened to the police, uh, the, the Chicago police detail in Oak Park that was watching the house? Suppose they were called off the scene. Why, I don't know. And then, so no one saw Blasey enter, right? No, they saw him later, but they didn't see him. And then they out. just disappeared. That's for right. A while. That's right. They never saw him come back out. That's what I understand. Funny how that happens, huh? Here's a curious um, and an interesting email. Uh, I wondered how bad prison is for the mob guys. Their mob connections probably get them special treatment. As old as some of them are, 
They are not in the general population. I'm sure they have cable TV, air conditioning, etc. Better living than I will have in my old age. And he signs it, regular guy. You mean like uh, they slice the garlic with the uh, <laughs> with the with the razor blade, and they get steak and lobster, and they make sauce and in, in, play in, pinochle and just laugh and sit in their bathrobes and, and drink good wine. In one of the Godfather films, it's represented that way. As yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Um, Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Yeah. Or Goodfellas. Yeah. I don't think they're living that high off the hog, but some of the f the federal institutions, if you have to do time, not that I have, but when I've heard, I'd rather do time in a federal institution other than maybe Florence, Colorado, in a place like uh, than, than in Menard, Pontiac, or Stateville. They're not tougher. They're not living a good life, uh, but if you... I've heard it said by people who heard it said that people from the uh, some of the Eastern European, Polish, and Russian outfits have no fear of going to federal prison here, figuring that it's a, it is, just as you said, a better life than they were experiencing anyway, and uh, it's not that bad for them. Well, the white-collar guys don't have it too bad in the camps because you're dealing, your, your inmate, fellow inmates are the same socioeconomic background that you've got. We've had 10 or That's 15 or is it 22 Chicago aldermen in modern time who've gone to prison, but... Well, Oxford, Oxford, Wisconsin, fact, is a suburb of Chicago. It's an aldermanic camp. Yeah, it yeah. was. It literally was. But they usually serve for just a year or two. Yeah, or, or to Duluth. It's one of Duluth yeah. or Oxford are the popular places for them. Well, I, I read in a few, and, and they're, you know, as they exited, I mean, when they were out on the street getting used to it again, uh, some got to uh, clean windows. Others uh, had the stressful job of gardening. You know, so you read the, read the papers mm -hmm. and watch TV and see your friends. Uh, we pause a quick round of commercials and we shall return to additional phone calls, 5917200, and to email extension720 at tribune.com. With a quick reintroduction of our guests, and then right back to the phones <coughs> and to the email. We are talking about the recent indictment of a number of mob figures and the ramifications of those indictments uh, for connections on into government and other institutional areas of the life of this town. Uh, my guests are Tom Kirkpatrick, president of the Chicago Crime Commission, John Cass, the distinguished columnist at the Chicago Tribune, who specializes in politics and corruption, and John Drummond, a veteran crime reporter who spent the larger portion of his wonderful career at WBBM-TV, Channel 2, and uh, who did a wonderful memoir uh, just two or three years ago, still available as I understand, titled 30 Years in the Trenches, Crooks, Characters, and Capers. And we go directly back to the phones on 591-7200. You are on the air. Good evening. Yes, I've got a question. Is who murdered uh, Sheriff Richard Kane, or why was he murdered? That goes way back in the annals of Chicago mob life, but John Drummond knows the answer. He was killed in December, I think it was 73, at Rose's Sandwich Shop, a yeah. restaurant over on Grand Avenue, probably recall, where... Apparently, a couple of men in ski masks came into the place, lined up all the customers on the wall, and uh, when they realized who Kane was, they blew his brains out, literally. We don't know uh, right now for sure who who killed him. Got, there's been some ideas. We can't obviously bring him up on the air because we'd be sued. Yeah. But uh, the, the reason he was killed, he came, as some people think, as an emissary for, uh, for Giancana, and, uh, who, was living, who was in exile at Cuernavaca, Mexico at that time. And I think it was a message maybe to Sam that uh, maybe he wasn't welcome back here anymore. Because at that time, uh, uh, Tony Cardo uh, had completely fallen out with uh, Giancana and, and didn't want him engaged in any kind of 
activity. Activity down in Mexico, either. Yeah. Our thanks to the caller. We're still waiting to hear from um, Mr. Lombardo. Uh, if he's out there, we renew our invitation that he call quickly, and we'd love to hear his story. 5917, and his uh, Apologia Pro Vita Sua, his uh, explanation of his own life. 5917200 is the number. If you talk like that on Grand Avenue, I guarantee somebody's going to be bad. <laughs> That's pretty if you close. talk like that, somebody's going to look at you, you know, grab you. It's Latin. It's Slatin pretty, clo it's pretty well, close to Italian. I, yeah, kind of. Okay. <laughs> Uh, here we go, back to the post on 591 Good evening. Hi, is it me? Yes, ma'am. Hi. I was just, I just heard, just part of this. I'm on my way to work, but are you familiar with Fresh Meadow Golf Course when uh, CMG and Khan and all his group used to play there? It's a course in Hillside, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Or Westchester, way out there, yeah. Yeah, I was just a young girl then, and I knew the whole group of them. Of course, I didn't know them in their capacity, I only knew them as nice guys that were at the golf course. What were you and doing I, there? Uh, my mom worked there for years, and I worked there. Matter of fact, when they arrested Giancana before he went down to Mexico, he had my picture in his wallet. Oh, because I gave him my graduation picture, but uh, they they never bothered me because I was young, and you know they explained who I was and what was going on. But my question is: Are you familiar with Leo Manfredi? He was a lower echelon. I think he's deceased right now. I believe. Right, yes, he is. Yes, he is. And I was wondering if you had any idea who shot him. He was did, shot in his restaurant. Did you know him well? Yes, I did. How, uh, what was your uh, relationship with him? Oh, God, kind of okay related. That's as far as I can go. Okay. Wasn't Mr. Manfredi also involved in, in the juice business? Yes, absolutely. So who who's really angry with him? Oh, no, no. Oh, well, probably a lot of people. Well, huh? who, do you, who do you think was angry with him? The same people. Which, you mean those, uh, the guys at the golf course? Oh, no, 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 no. This was years later. He's only been gone, let's see. 21 years. So who was I would think it would be uh, guys in the same level, but maybe uh, guys that didn't have as much power. Okay, 2312-222. Yeah. 3232 is the Tribune. Okay. Or you could call, you know, I'll share this one with John at, at, at WBBM. You call us tomorrow. We'll talk about it. Okay. Okay. Okay, thank you. We'll yes, call the Crime Commission, but... Be sure you, know. you do that. I will. And it'll, yep. it'll turn into a column by next week, if all goes according to plan. I'm glad it did the show. Yeah. Um, I want to read you an interesting... Your cup runneth over. Yeah, right. Isn't it, it an interesting and important email? Let me read this to you. Having witnessed firsthand the espionage technology that we brought to bear against the Soviets, he says, having witnessed it firsthand, so this guy's probably worked in espionage for the government, it seems inconceivable to me that the feds don't really know who's doing what in organized crime and that they couldn't permanently destroy the various factions if they wanted to. I realize that the government has traditionally been restricted from using NSA-style tactics domestically. That's uh, eavesdropping tactics with all kinds of fancy super electronics. Um, so he realizes they've been restricted from using NSA-style tactics domestically, but all that but all that is nominally required to circumvent this prohibition is probable cause the obtaining of which has been made infinitely easier in this age of the Patriot Act. Are the feds really trying to put the mob out of business, or are they merely attempting to contain them 
since they have better things to do. In New York? In or are they failing to use the full power of the government? I don't know if uh, the feds would violate the law. I, I, I know that He's some He's suggesting people, the feds could now uh, no, do this can. within law. Look what's going on in New York, uh, all across the country. Um, in New York, Chicago, I, I ran into some guy in Boston at a sandwich shop during the convention. He was... He had heard about Nick Calabrese over there. I even wrote about it. He's like, what's going on? There's somebody beefing. And so they, uh, the people who are involved in this lifestyle understand that the, all across the country, the feds are going after these people. It's also a matter of resources. Since right. uh, since 9-11, I oh, think there's okay. been an awful lot of emphasis on terrorism. Right. Not that, that organized crime is not taking a wheel back seat, but it's not mm -hmm. a priority item right now. As has, as has uh, political corruption. It's not just tradition that keeps the government from... Uh, uh, listening in on everybody's conversation. It's the Constitution of the United States as interpreted by our courts. Right. And as the U.S. But does the Patriot Act now give them it, 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 it gives some uh, wiggle room in some areas, but not necessarily in the areas that we're talking about for organized crime. So you have to have, you know, a strong judicial uh, approval before you intercept. There's, there are limits on it. It's not... Uh, because they don't want to do it, it's because that's how our rights of privacy as citizens are set up. Right. They'll ruin a case because, you, you know, uh, secret is between one person and himself. That's the only secret there is. Mm. You know, you can't have two people on the secret. With that, gentlemen, back to the phones. You are next on the air. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, don't forget Jagger Hoover at one point claimed that there was no mob in the United States. So it's kind of interesting uh when you, when you talk to Giancana, bring up why he was murdered, the reasons why, perhaps there, um, there may have even been some connections there with U.S. intelligence. and and. Uh, well, we know that Sam Giancana and some others had a mission uh, from the Kennedys to go try to kill uh, Fidel Castro. Correct. And plus, it, uh, what, when he was murdered at that time frame, I was young, but wasn't that around the same time as the House? Uh, assassination committee was looking in, like Johnny Roselli was found floating in a barrel, and Giancana was killed. And yeah, Roselli was found floating in a bay in Biscayne Bay about the same time. That's correct. There was that, but I think most people that followed the mob pretty uh, closely at that time discounted that uh, the federal government or anything like that was involved. The CIA or anybody else was involved because, for one case in point, was when they had the funeral for Sam Giancana, nobody showed up. Which was other than the fact that Blasey was there, as of course as a as a, a, a pallbearer, indicating the mob. In other words, if if the government had a, had been responsible for Jane Connor's death, there would have been an outpouring of organized crime people there to show their support. It was a sign of contempt that none of them showed up, indicating that it was an authorized hit at the time. Another quick question: Is there any truth? I'm doing some reading, just you know, kind of casually over the years. I've seen it uh, stated on a few occasions that at one point in time there was an intelligence unit of either the Cook County Sheriff's Department or perhaps even the Chicago Police Department, and officers within that unit actually functioned as uh, outfit triggermen. If any of you gentlemen uh, came across... I remember talking, uh, interviewing uh, former police uh, superintendent Joseph D. Leonardi, who uh, didn't mention any names, but was convinced that there were some police on the job who were, you know, hitters. And uh, if police and uh, his Chicago police force were in the Cook County force. In the Chicago Police Department. Really. And now we've seen, and then there was all the speculation too uh, about some prior prior to Hanhart. There was a, I don't know if he's dead now, but a legendary police officer who he would go mm -hmm. after criminals, and they'd always end up dead. 
there was, uh, you know, you, that as far as that Kennedy thing goes, because we have such extensive files going back, uh, every year the commission to review the assassination of the president would come and look at our files and go over and over and over every single connection between mobsters and the government and whatever, and they never came to any conclusions that there was a government connection to that plot. To Roselli, yeah. A basic question. Let me start uh, this, uh, Tom Kirkpatrick on this one, but obviously I want all three of you to respond. Uh, how special is Chicago in this regard? If you compare Chicago to other major American cities, have we always had much more crime presence and crime achievement and crime collusion with, uh, with government? Uh, but for that matter, if you go beyond the borders of the United States, do you tend to find similar patterns of organized crime developing and emerging in the other major cities of the Western or, for that matter, the Eastern world? Every city and culture has its own traditions. Uh, and John mentioned earlier, you know, the, uh, the Japanese uh, groups that uh, show up and, and, uh, at a stockholders meeting and intimidate the uh, uh, people that, who imitate uh, movie caricatures of uh, mafia figures. Um, in uh, China has always had very strong criminal organized groups. Every country- Even a, communist China today? Even today, but in a different format. It has mm -hmm. to meld to the culture that's there, but there is always uh, a group in place to get for you for a price what you can't get on your own legally and that's what these guys are all about no matter what the the culture i can't speak and so every city is different new york is different than here they have the like the gambinos and other big family-based uh hierarchies uh you know and they had uh, john Gotti, and they had these these uh the dapper don characters which we don't have here we have more the the tough guys and the mm. Uh, uh, street guys. Obviously, yeah, New York has, but New York has had a great uh, crime. But presence. they have a tra they have a crime tradition there. So I can't say that it's you know how you can compare one to the other. I say that it is present you, in every you, major civilized. You'd city. You find the country. same in innocent cities like Indianapolis. Sir. I don't know about Indianapolis. Certain certain communities in. This I draw the line. Can't find pool halls. How about right? <laughs> Kansas City had a very strong sure. organized crime yeah. family at one time. Even Los Angeles, although Mr. Cardo disparaged it, said that it was called the Mickey Mouse Mafia. They had an organization mm -hmm. like that. So did, uh, of course, Milwaukee under the Ballesteri clan at one time. Maybe Philadelphia. Very strong. <laughs> Philadelphia, of course, is with Atlantic City, the Brunos. So most of the big urban areas had some form the, of St. Louis. St. Louis was another And the one. same in most other countries of some level of yeah. development. Yes. Yeah. So you are really supporting, in a way, the Robert Merton thesis concerning the omnipresence of crime. We call it crime because they are monopolizing uh, the control of services which are officially illegal. Well, that tends to, uh, that argument, as you well know, tends to rationalize the behavior. It does indeed. And um, once a, a culture begins to uh, delve or, or abandon itself to uh, rationalism, uh, anything is possible, and most of it's bad. So uh, I'm sure the sociologist is a wonderful fellow, but I think that kind of thinking is dangerous. Not that I would uh, rule it out. But you wouldn't argue that crime can ever, of, of an organized variety, can ever, in fact, really be ultimately eliminated. And oh, it'll never be eliminated. But you have to limit its ability to terrorize, threaten. So it's a struggle to keep it under under control. No, keep it and keep it from affecting you and I against our wishes. And, you one, know? and, and once a culture or a city adopts uh, a, a who cares attitude then uh, these people can pick off, as Tom said, uh, little businessmen, uh, uh, neighbors. And didn't this city adopt them. a who cares attitude 
a long time ago. And still does today. And still does. And I think we're actually seeing more of that. That's one of the problems and one of the reasons we try to capitalize on the publicity that an indictment like this generates mm -hmm. to show how you can personally suffer at the hands of these people because we've all adopted an attitude of it's not my business. But how and why did we develop a who cares attitude? I think because, first of all, I think the old uh, feeling was by a lot of people, quote, they only kill each other. So that's uh -huh. one reason I think there's been very few of these murders, so-called gangland murders solved because they figured that innocent people aren't involved and that therefore ergo the public shouldn't really care, get rid, get rid of rubbish, that type of thing. I think that's that permeated a lot of feeling. But you know, so, that uh, is so, the problem yeah, because that's, right. that's what gives them their ability to threaten yeah. you and me to say, look, you know, how many murders have there been in, uh, you know, in 1,111 mm -hmm. and when nobody's been caught? We don't get caught. So you either pay me and do what I tell you or that's going to happen to you. Or and that just, implicit or right, threat is right there. Or some little punk, I mean, punk, uh, uh, barbarian, with uh, dirty teeth and slobbering with a shiny silk suit can say something lewd to your wife or girlfriend or mother and then slap somebody knowing that nothing can touch him. And that kind of, when we accept that and, and glorify little punks like the Spilatros and others. Are they to beat up the policewoman? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, the one guy who sl yeah, slugged the policewoman. Yeah. We're, we're in trouble because then we give ourselves over to the barbarian. And that's, that's unconscionable, right? No? Absolutely. I quite agree. I do indeed agree. Um, and I give myself over to certain commercial requirements at this moment. A quick pause and then directly back to uh, Tom Kirkpatrick, John Drummond, and John Cass. And back to your calls and emails to them. And directly back to Cass of the Tribune, Drummond of Channel 2, Kirkpatrick. <coughs> of the Chicago Crime Commission. And to your calls and emails, 591-7200 for email extension 720 at tribune.com. And you are on the air. Good evening. Oh, thanks for taking my call, Milt. Yes, sir. Uh, a couple of questions, uh, both of them rather brief. When I was a boy, unfortunately a long time ago, back in the late 60s, I was a busboy at a restaurant uh, on the south side of Chicago. And uh, the it was purported to be, and it certainly was a uh, mob uh, place to hang out. I know that the uh, uh, the bartenders had killed people, and I know that the, the people, the revelers on the other side of the bar, were primarily uh, mob folks also. And there were every night it was filled up with folks, uh, kind of like uh, in that movie. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but uh, nevertheless, uh, and I, I read in the uh, Trib, I, think, I believe it was a Trib, uh, the other day, that uh, now there's only 25 or 30 made guys in the Mafia, and uh, it's diminished uh, considerably. And uh, back in the 60s, when I was a boy, uh, it seemed like these guys were all over the place, and um and I wonder what, what happened. If there, are there really only 25 or 30 made guys? And the other question I was, there was a fellow my father knew, uh, legitimately, by the way, uh, whose name was Babe Tuffinelli, who was identified in the original Valachi papers. And I wondered whatever happened to him. And uh, if you could kind of talk about that, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Well, to begin with, I think you have to clarify the difference between made and non-made people. You don't have to be a made man 
uh, to uh, be actively involved in organized no, crime. You could be an associate member, that's correct, or, not, or a soldier, something like that. Only the elite would be a maid, that's correct. But they're just, just that those few, I thought... It's kind of like an equity more. partner yeah. in a law firm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I get you. Yeah. yeah, and so, you know, that you cast that number on 50. It was the numbers at the federal building during these... Uh, hearings on the indictments or the arraignments, it, it ranged anywhere from up to 100, uh, but then uh, plus the other guys that are associates and part of the crew. And Tom, else. isn't it true, though, that in Chicago, the mafia culture as represented in the popular entertainments we know, and possibly as practiced in New York, the mafia culture never was quite as slavishly followed here as it was there? Well, it wasn't as ritualistic here. Uh, there were sometimes, uh, you know, at least like a promotion ceremony or a get together, mm. but it wasn't uh, a mystical experience mm. of becoming, uh, you know, mm. generally speaking, what brothers or, uh, you know, killing a chicken or whatever. Uh, it was not that kind of. Uh, Can I use that as a title for my first book? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Santeria. Yeah. You know, Milton, the brothers are killing a chicken. So you think there's only like a just like a very few uh, the well, uh, Jen, quote unquote made guys? No, about that. What do you think? No, I think that there's more than what uh, some of us in the media uh, obviously uh, uh, written. I think the difference is like New York again. New York has five families and they have a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Chicago's really one family, if you want to call it that. That's right. Uh, they made them so strong. They're more dangerous. And it also it reached out. Chicago reached out to Cleveland, to Kansas City, as John Drummond said, Milwaukee, Vegas, Las Vegas, and and Los Angeles. Notice that there wasn't a lot of gangland activity in Los Angeles when Paul Rica uh, realized that Hollywood was a nice place to make movies. So, uh, and but they never know, made a movie of Paul Rica. You didn't tell us the name of the restaurant. And, uh, yeah. No, it's gone now. Do you want me to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's gone. It was Cavallini's. Cavallini's. I know. 47th and uh, Kedrick Crawford. I, I know the place well. Yeah. The. Uh, Thanks for mentioning it. But you know, people it's gone don't. Now. Yes, I know. These people that were interested in some of the older. I didn't know that it was a wise guy hangout when I was a little kid, though. You too. Right? Um, were you down there? Is that where you lived? Oh, let's not get personal now. No, I won't. okay. You already, you already mentioned Cavallini's. <laughs> uh, you told me to. Okay. <laughs> what about Babe Tuffinelli? That's, that right? that's, ex uh, that's the second time I think the Tuffinelli came up another time we were here. Uh, did he have something to do with midget racing, too, at one time? <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. Know. You know, that's, maybe it's a point to bring in. I think John did in his column one time some books that uh, people could read. He mentioned, I think, the one by Ovid Damaris. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. Back in the 60s, and of course you had uh, Virgil Peterson, Barbarians in Our Midst, and of course you had more contemporary books, of course, The, the Don by Bill Brashler. Right. Mm -hmm. You had the one by uh, by Bill Romer, Man Against the Mob. And then Several. You had, and then you had the one by Cooley, When Corruption Was King, which is a contemporary. Thing. And you also movie. have uh, 30 Years in the Trenches. Exactly. Crooks, there you go. Characters, and, and Papers that's right. by John Drummond. John Drummond is like a walking, you know, it's just walking history. Absolutely. Mob, yeah. you know. um, has anyone ever stumped you on a mob question? Babe Tuffinelli. just had it right now. Babe Tuffinelli. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> All it. right. You get it on the way home. You'll be yeah. driving home. You go, oh, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, we're going to pause for a last round of commercials. The number remains 5917200. And where is Joey Lombardo? Uh, we're still expecting his call. We're hoping for it. We return right after this. And um, we go directly back to the phones for your calls to J uh, Tom Kirkpatrick, John Drummond, and John Cass. You are on the air. Good evening. Good evening, Milt. 
I uh, wanted to ask your distinguished panel about uh, the book When Corruption Was King by Bob Cooley, and also what do they think the effect of Operation Gambit was? I thought the Cooley book uh, was certainly is, is very interesting to Chicago people, dealing more with the contemporary crime here with some of the trials. That uh, Cooley, of course, was a government witness mm -hmm. and had a pretty good batting average. I don't think that in any case that Cooley testified that the government lost. And that's a compendium of some of the crimes ranging from Harry Alleman to the uh, the uh, Pat Marcy, Fred Rohde. Collada. You mentioned Collada. Frank Collada. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, Frank Collada has been a government witness. I don't know how effective he was uh, in that in that capacity. He was well, a friend of Tony Spilatro. And it was interesting that, and I've always mm -hmm. found this fascinating, Collada was used by the government to testify against Spilatro in Las Vegas. The, the attorney representing Spilatro is now the mayor of Las Vegas, yeah, Oscar good Goodman. The, uh, the law enforcement official who went to Las Vegas to undercut Collada's testimony and therefore free, basically free the Spilatro so that they were available to come back to Chicago and get murdered was uh, William Hanhart, chief of detectives, Chicago Police Department. He testified as to the credibility of oh, Collada. That's right. I remember that as a defense witness. Yes, you, you believe in coincidences, caller? I don't know. Me neither. <laughs> Murphy's famous law is if anything can go wrong, it will. Is there a comparable law? If, any, if anybody can be corrupted, he will be? That's right. Or if you see the same guy in your rearview mirror twice, yeah. you better you know, go to 219 South Dearborn, or Dearborn <laughs> and talk to Patrick Fitzgerald. <laughs> Who, by the way, I just want to put in a plug for him. He's been yeah. doing one hell of a yeah. job since he got here. Yeah. He has yeah. indeed. He has and indeed. Uh, the FBI, too. Uh, yeah, they have. I'm not that there weren't cases that were being worked on. There are a lot of great attorneys and uh, FBI agents. But when you have a boss who's aggressive and will stay, you know, like that. The other ones were aggressive, too. We've got a, uh, Gary Shapiro, as far as institutional memory, right. has been there for years. And one... and. I, I've heard stories that, you know, he knows some people who went to City Hall from the office um, and, and told uh, then-Mayor Jane Byrne not to promote uh, Hanhart to uh, police superintendent, which she was about to do. I return to a question I pressed earlier, um, and um, you'll forgive me for being a little bit uh, obdurate and uh, insistent. Um, to what degree is this investigation reaching into City Hall and reaching up towards the fifth floor? These are two different investigations we're talking about right now. Uh, what we have been talking about is the uh, mob, mob indictments, the 14 indictments. people, and that doesn't involve City no. Hall particularly. It doesn't involve City Hall. But there are federal uh, investigations relating to Chicago politicians as well. Yes, corruption. What What is interesting is that some of the um, mob investigation involves the 26th Street or Chinatown crew, sorry, and the same uh, group is being uh, investigated as it relates to Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the higher truck and other scandals. There, might, you might call uh, intersecting sets. Yeah. What Tom, what uh, Tom uh, uh, Kneer, the former chief uh, special uh, agent Thank in charge, uh, called the nexus, which he was interested in, as are we between politics and. One of the great Chicago quotations is the old one from Patty Bowler: "Chicago ain't ready for reform. Will it ever be ready for reform in this realm?" I don't know what you mean by this realm. I think I, mean, I think the realm of <laughs> of organized crime corrupting uh, the politicians. I think Chicago is is uh, is ripe for reform. I think, but is it ready for it? Will it? Well, you know, you're ready when it comes because uh, there's going to be getting around it when you have such an aggressive 
uh, prosecution uh, and investigation uh, of organized crime, <laughs> official corruption, manipulation of government for the benefit of the few, uh, reform is on its way. How clean is the police department right now? I think it's as cleaner than it's been uh, in a long time. You're always going to have corruption pockets. We don't have the systemic kind of corruption that existed That's at one time where everybody took a piece of the action. There were, you know, going back in, his, in history, there were cases where everybody, you know, depending on your rank, you got a certain percentage of what the take was for protecting the rackets or whatever in your organization. Now you have more independent. Now you have the Joseph Miedzanowski's. Although yeah. it's interesting that, like, uh, and I'm not going to identify certain streets because I, I'm not accusing any police officers, but it is interesting that there's certain streets in this town you could go any day and get drugs, right? Any day. And it's been like that open drug operations for years in certain districts. And sometimes I wonder why that is, if they're allowed to operate so that they don't bleed over into Hyde Park or East or, you know, South or North or wherever. Well, I think they've been doing in the last couple of years uh, some terrific close downs on the open <coughs> drug markets, which is how they were able to bust up some of the street gangs, and they were able to bring the murder rate One down. thing you have to, and I give Mayor Daly a lot of credit for this, in, in the sense, he has uh, redeveloped much of the south side, um, that corridor on Cottage Grove between 39th and, uh, you know, 71st Street. That was the open, that was a cocaine road. I mean, that was it, and, and it's being redeveloped, and as that's re been redeveloped, the drug uh, operations uh, disappear there. Well, go somewhere else. Or go somewhere problem. else, right? Well, it used to be that you could, you know, 47th Street used to be the, the line that we right. would, you know, be careful about crossing because it gets a little, that whole area is up for uh, development right. and uh, commercial and residential. That's amazing there, so. Now we go to another telephone call. Good evening. You're on the air. Hi, Milt. Hi, fellas. I want to, before I ask my question, I just want to make one point. There's, I read in The Economist a month or so ago, there's 1,500 uh uh, freight trains going through Chicago every day, and I think the cartage thieves, and I think that supports a lot of what's going on in the in the crime scene here in Chicago. But I wanted to ask you guys, um, you know, you, you, you're more, you know, streets and Chicago-centric and everything, but who do you think caused more economic harm to people in terms of, Death in terms of suicide, in terms of all this stuff, Ken Lay or Joey Lombardo. I mean, are we focusing on something that's kind of fading, as opposed to the new wave of crime that's going that's going on in, in well, uh, I think corporate that this, America? I think it's a good point, but I think uh, uh, contrary to the myth that's been uh, shaped, and I think partly that has to do with politics and one's politics. Uh, this Justice Department has gone after. Uh, corporate crime. Well, but he's uh, been walking around for four years. Well, you know what? Uh, wise guys have been walking around for a lot longer. And yeah, that's okay. Time. Yeah. I so mean, I'm yeah. just saying that there's an attitude. You know, people ri ridiculed the Martha Stewart thing, but they went after that. They're going after this stuff. And uh, of course, I'd like to see more of these people. Yeah, the the pension thieves obviously are, are hurt people, but you know how many people kill, kill themselves over drugs and and uh, and gambling. Right. No, you know, you're right. I mean, so. I'm just, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm positing. I mean, I wanted to get a feel for what you guys felt about it. And, and uh, I mean, Ken Lake created havoc 
you know, I mean, in in uh, where was it, Houston or whatever? Yeah. Well, and 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 so uh, and so does you you know, on a net criminal, how much damage does United Airlines cause when they cancel the pension plan for exactly. their employees? Okay, but yeah. is that is that the kind of crime that uh, that uh, tears us apart? No, it isn't. It's not the kind of uh, of intimidation and and threats of violence uh, to take what's mine and uh, give it to you that we get when we get. Organized it's an old question, and it's an old complaint. One remembers Woody Guthrie's lyric, uh, the bandit robs you with a gun, the banker with a fountain pen. And that's what this guy is saying. Yeah, and it's, po- it's popularly expressed politically as well. It's uh, leave the, uh, you know, go after the uh, rich Republican. I don't know what, mm. Joey, if you're out there, please tell us what your politics are, too, in your call. We didn't hear from Joey. No, we didn't. You think he's going to show up? Then you got one time for one more call. Maybe that's it. All right, let's try that one more call. Here it is. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, Milt, Dr. Milt. Um, I was calling to uh, ask and uh, uh, get the panel's kind of uh, collective opinion on what impact, if any, and I, I believe that uh, Charlie Saragusa had on the uh, the. Uh, the, the past and the, the, the present. All right, we'll focus on him, and we're, time is very short, I fear, but let's Charlie, add him to the... Charlie Saragusa was, was the former executive director of the Chicago, the Illinois Crime Commission. It was, uh, yeah, it was, a, Jeff, it was an Illinois uh, legislative uh, commission uh, created. Yeah. And he was a colorful, colorful guy, very much so. Smoked a cigar and oh, kicked yeah. down doors. Uh, he used to be with the Drug Enforcement, now the Drug Enforcement right, Administration. He came here, always pursued Lucky Luciano, came to Chicago and got this state job and then died. I think he was a, might have been a cancer victim. Very colorful guy. Great. I liked him a lot. And he did a couple of things on uh, currency exchanges, one of his big uh, And juice projects. loans. And juice loans was another one. He did some door kicking and some uh, uh, high publicity, high visibility uh, stuff, but it wasn't a broad-based attack on organized crime. Three of the people who are deeply involved in the broad-based attack on organized crime, but not holding positions within the uh, uh, the um, within judicial or legal um, uh, responsibility are my guests tonight. Uh, you've all de- dedicated your lives pretty much to peering in on these guys and exposing them. Um, is that a gratifying thing to do? I like to or write, is it very frustrating? I don't think that we've dedicated our lives <laughs> to that. I, I'd like to, you know, write Dedicated your professional side. careers, yeah, <laughs> but mostly, lately you've been writing about Lately, the because stuff. these are the story. The, the, the Nick Calabrese two years ago, everyone knew this was coming. The investigations at City Hall, everybody knew this was coming. What's interesting is that when the senior members of any organization are under siege, two things happen. The young guys rise up to the top, and they're a lot less... Uh, capable as the older guys and the the people who are the victims get bolder and tell tell tough guys to go take a walk mm-hmm. by the way the organized crime you mentioned my career of course i've done other things than organized crime that's only a minuscule amount of stories i've done on that but if you might really feel how bad it was it looked bad if you ever read the book by Jack Lade and Lee Mortimer called Chicago Confidential, then you would have thought Chicago was being strangled by the mob. And of course, that wasn't the case, that big exaggeration, although it was stronger in that era than it is today. Organized crime is not like it was 40, 30, 40 years ago. You know, it's, it's organized crime is the same as any other crime. If people are informed about it and aware of it and understand it, then they're in a position to protect themselves from it and do something about it. So that's why it's important to bring it up. So we're better off now than during the Capone era, are we actually? I like to think so. I, 
The Rika uh, era. Yeah, well, that was before yeah. my era. We're better off now than we were starting in 1950, I think, 50s, 60s, and 70s, definitely. So as far as organized crime is concerned. Better off now than we were 15 minutes ago. Well, they don't have enough yeah. people to send to West Virginia like they did in 1960 for the primaries. <laughs> you know, okay. guys in mm -hmm. Chicago have to stay home now. Gentlemen, I thank you. It's been a memorable program for me, and uh, I'm much in your debt. My guests have been Tom Kirkpatrick, president of the Chicago Crime Commission, John Drummond, veteran reporter who spent most of his career at WBBM-TV and is the author of the still very available book, 30 Years in the Trenches, Crooks, Characters, and Capers. And John Cass, Cass of the Tribune. You said you got the title of your first book tonight. What was it again? What was it again, Tom? Something about I, how I, I killed uh, Blood Brothers and, uh, and Chicken Killers or yeah. something like that. <laughs> I like it. Uh, well, At least an essay for the New Yorker. We'll look forward to that.